This video is going to be about, it's going to heavily revolve around Jehovah's Witnesses because there are a lot of goings on in that world right now. And I feel like um, there's a lot to cover with that. So I am, I am going to get into Jehovah's Witnesses in a minute. But uh, for the moment, I just wanted to announce some really interesting stuff that's been happening. When I was 12 years old, heavily Jehovah's Witness, believed it to the core. I had a brother, or have, I have a brother, who's like five and a half, six years older than me. And he, so I was 12 and he was like 17, 18 years old, right? And he had this girlfriend who was also a Jehovah's Witness at the time. They're all out of the religion now, but they were dating. And with Jehovah's Witnesses, you're not allowed to be alone under any circumstances, period. You cannot be alone with uh, somebody of the opposite sex who's around the same age as you, basically, and who is baptized, all kinds of weird rules. Anyway, you, they, couldn't, they were not allowed to be alone, so I was their chaperone. They're not allowed to be alone for a second, not for a second. It would violate so many rules. I went on lots of car trips with them. Like We would go to Kentucky to go spelunking or just a bunch of other fun trips that they would do as a couple, and I'd go with them as a chaperone to make sure they didn't do anything naughty, you know, how that goes. And on those long car rides, they dated for probably six months, maybe a year. This person, my brother's ex-wife now, had very specific taste in music. She had Sublime CDs and she had Tool CDs. She had the, the CD Anima and we listened to that CD while we drove. And of course that's like super forbidden. You're not supposed to listen to that kind of thing. I mean, it, they, they have a song on the CD Anima called Eulogy that is basically a eulogy to Jesus talking pretty poorly about him like here let me just look it up real quick here are the or here are the lyrics to the song eulogy this is on the cd i was listening to while chaperoning while i was a jehovah's witness he had a lot to say he had a lot of nothing to say we'll miss him so long we wish you well you told us how you weren't afraid to die well then so long don't cry or feel too down not all martyrs see divinity but at least you tried standing above the crowd he had a voice that was strong and loud We'll miss him. Ranting and pointing his finger at everything but his heart. We'll miss him. We're going to miss him. No way to recall what it was that you'd said to me like I care at all. So loud. You sure could yell. You took a stand on every little thing. And so loud. Standing above the crowd, he had a voice so strong and loud that I swallowed his facade because I'm so eager to identify with someone above the ground. Someone who seemed to feel the same, someone prepared to lead the way, and someone who would die for me. Will you? Will you now? Would you die for me? Don't you fucking lie. Don't you step out of line. Don't you fucking lie. You've claimed all this time that you would die for me. Why then are you so surprised when you hear your own eulogy? Come down, get off your fucking cross. We need the fucking space to nail the next fool martyr. To ascend, you must die. You must be crucified for our sins and our lies. Goodbye. So anyways, needless to say, it's most definitely not a song that Jehovah's Witnesses would approve of in any way. In any way. There's this one, too, on that same CD. Some say the end is near. Some say we'll see Armageddon soon. I certainly hope we will. I sure could use a vacation from this bullshit three-ring circus sideshow of freaks. 
here in this hopeless fucking hole we call L.A. The only way to fix it is to flush it all away. Any fucking time, any fucking day. Learn to swim. See you down in Arizona Bay. Here in this hopeless fucking hole we call L.A., the only way to fix it is to flush it all away. Some say a comet will fall from the sky, followed by meteor showers and tidal waves, followed by fault lines that cannot sit still, followed by millions of dumbfounded dipshits. Some say we'll see Armageddon soon. I certainly hope we will. I sure could use a vacation from this stupid shit. Silly shit. One great big festering neon distraction. I have a suggestion to keep you all occupied. Learn to swim. So, anyways, they're a very... Um, what's the word? They're, they're, they're a band that Jehovah's Witnesses would not listen to. And I was 12. And that was my... That was the start of a very rebellious time for me with music. That was the first band that I listened to that was just totally off the beaten path of what I was allowed to listen to. It, it's so crazy now thinking about the fact that I listened to it then. So Tool has always held a place in my heart. Always held a place in my heart. I love Tool. If for no other reason than because it was the start of my rebellious face. So they have a new album coming out on August 30th. And I went to a concert recently and they played some songs from it and stuff. And I found out that their album was leaked online this morning. That includes some, some of the songs I've been listening to since I heard them at the concert. Some of the newer ones. And it's absolutely fantastic. Like... It's been 13 years since they released an album. Their, their last album came out in, I think, like 2006. And it was called 10,000 Days. And I was in high school, maybe, or just barely in high school. And it was, it was a really, really good album. But as time went on, they started out as a really heavy, hard band, screaming, raging, angry band in the 90s, early 90s, and as time went on through the mid-2000s, they got a lot more mellow, a lot more chill and relaxed, and I, I love all of their music, but I really love their mellow, chill stuff, because it's deep. Some of the words to it are just so deep. Uh, let me give you an example of one of those deep songs I'm thinking of. It's called Schism. I'm just going to read one line from this song, or just a couple of lines from it. I know the pieces fit because I watched them tumble down. No fault, none to blame. It doesn't mean I don't desire to point the finger, blame the other. Watch the temple topple over to bring the pieces back together. Rediscover communication. There was a time that the pieces fit, but I watched them fall away. Mildewed and smoldering, strangled by our coveting. I've done the math enough to know the dangers of our second guessing. Doomed to crumble unless we grow and strengthen our communication. Cold silence has a tendency to atrophy any sense of compassion between supposed lovers, between supposed brothers. So it's always, it, it just got deeper and deeper as time went on. And so the new album released, so this is my de facto review of the album. It's really, really good. And it has some deep lyrics, but I, I don't think that the lyrics are as deep as they once were. Or they're not about the same subjects as they once were, at the very least. But it's still just absolutely phenomenal. And they have some harder songs on there, too. Like, they, the, the songs, some of them sound really similar to some of their older albums, like, like their first album, Undertow. I think it was their first one, maybe their second one. Anyways, it sounds a lot like their younger, angrier days. And then it kind of melds into, like, a fusion, almost, of 
their newer stuff from like 2006. So I'm just overall really, really happy with it. I could be happier a little bit, but it's an absolutely phenomenal CD so far. Absolutely love it. I've listened to it multiple times all the way through today, and it's really good. So anyway, that's that's all I had to say about it. Here's a question I got a lot when I went to the Jehovah's Witnesses headquarters. If you've seen that video on Genetically Modified Skeptics channel, in the video, I went to the other branch office, the Patterson branch, and I roll up in a car and we're stopped by security. They start like spouting off names and stuff, and some of those names were bleeped out. Now, I didn't talk about this before. I've, in fact, I've never talked about this publicly, just with a few friends and stuff, or in the, like, the podcast pre-show or whatever on Discord. I've never talked about the names that they gave. So here's, here's the thing. Let me just tell you the name that they gave and explain why it's important. So we roll up, and we're stopped by security, and it turns out, I've, I've found out since this happened, that the, the security guard that they sent to us was a circuit overseer for somebody who was telling me about this for a while. This guy was actually directly involved in covering up the child abuse scandal in the religion. The governing body, the, the branch office, they knew that this guy was a bulldog, and that's why he, they sent him to deal with me. They knew he was a bulldog and that he would do whatever it took to bring me down, pretty much. That's why they sent him to deal with me specifically. So we roll up and, God, I'm reliving all of this stuff now. It was really, really stressful when it happened. It still just brings so much stress and pain just to think about. But we roll up and the guy comes up to the window and starts talking to me. And when I called them originally, I gave them this fake spam email address with a fake name that I set up like forever ago, just because whatever, they, what, what information are they going to pull from that? It's a fake email address with like a fake name. And it wasn't even a full name. It was like initials. It was initials to a fake name that I made up. So I roll up and they, this is the name that I bleeped in the video. They said, are you at all associated with Barbara Anderson? And I was like, Barbara Anderson? Who the hell is that? I had never heard that name in my life. But they got the last name correct. And that kind of freaked me out a little bit. Like the, the last name in my fake name email address, they got it right. The last name of the fake email address was Anderson. So... That was like, um, this is a little startling. So I was like, no, I've never heard that name in my life. Because that's true. I had never heard of Barbara Anderson before. Well, it turns out that's a real person. I went and looked around and found out who Barbara Anderson is. So let's take a look at this person and just read about her. This is on jwfacts.com. A lot of you guys may know of this website. It's a really, really solid website. It's been around for like decades, I think. It's run by Paul Grundy. Really legit dude. He is the reason for an awful lot of people getting out of the religion. So I have just mad respect for this guy. So there's this article about Barbara Anderson on jwfacts.com. Barbara Anderson, Brooklyn Bethel. The discoveries of Barbara Anderson is article written by Barbara about her experiences as a researcher and writer in the Bethel Writing Department in Brooklyn. 
the file is a 25-page, 720 kilobyte uh, Microsoft Word document. I highly recommend taking the time to download and read her story. Barbara wrote a number of articles for the Watchtower publications and was one of the researchers for the Proclaimers book, which is actually a really, really important book for Jehovah's Witnesses. She became involved in research on pedophilia for a number of articles released in the 1990s. Eventually, her conscience no longer allowed her to be associated with the Watchtower Society, particularly due to the governing body's refusal to change Watchtower policy that protects pedophiles. Barbara's letter to the governing body is a letter from 2012 regarding the July 2011 Watchtower article describing as mentally diseased those that leave the religion over doctrinal issues. Judgment Day Must Wait by Paul uh, presents a complete history of the ideology of the Watchtower Society and its focus on Judgment Day. It includes a chapter on the topic of child abuse written by Barbara Anderson, which was a forerunner to her life story, Discoveries of Barbara Anderson. So basically this person, Barbara Anderson, she was a writer and a researcher for the writing department at Brooklyn Bethel. Let's, Let's read her letter to the governing body. This is a letter from Barbara Anderson to the Watchtower Society after she left. In 1517, Martin Luther wrote in a letter to Archbishop Albert of Mainz, You must graciously forgive that I, that scum of the earth, am so bold as to dare to address a letter to you. Yes, I know you think of me as scum, like the, uh, like the Mainz believed of Luther, wondering how I dare write you a letter. Someone Jehovah's Witnesses disfellowshipped back in 2002. I was accused of being an unrepentant sinner and condemned for causing divisions, then labeled apostate because I spoke out publicly on NBC's Dateline TV program about the child sexual abuse policies that protected pedophiles, policies that you helped formulate. Now do you remember me? I bet you do. For acting out of conscience, it's certainly uncalled for to be shunned as an apostate and viewed as dead by my family and friends. But according to the July 15th, 2011 Watchtower, I am, I'm also mentally diseased because it states that all apostates are mentally diseased. Injuries from a physical attack can heal, but experts say insults and name-calling can cause emotional pain that lasts a lifetime. That's why there is a saying, the pen is mightier than the sword. You know that words can cut like knives, and it appears that's why you use words in Watchtower literature that can damage those who differ with the religion of Jehovah's Witnesses. It's been nearly 20 years since I walked your hallowed carpets. I loved every minute of it, except for the two times I crossed swords with two of your staff members at different occasions over the unethical and dishonest practices. One of those staff members is still in your midst. Back then, I believed in the integrity of your staff writers. I thought they were loyal to God and never underhanded with respect to religious truth. But much investigation proved to me that some writing department writers are incompetent and some are just plain dishonest. If I said the religion of Jehovah's Witnesses is as bona fide as snake oil, that it is poppycock and bunkum, I've never heard those words before, Many in our politically correct society would consider my words offensive and hurtful. Yet, Watchtower staff writers believe they can get away with twisting the scriptures, using them against those who question doctrines and policy, and do it with impunity, such as recently claiming, well, apostates are mentally diseased, and they seek to infect others with their disloyal teachings. First of all, that's ridiculous. Paul didn't say anything about apostates. The Watchtower did. And he didn't say in verse 4, he, any man that teaches other doctrines, is mentally diseased. The words mental disease describes a bodily condition. 
Paul said he, but being mentally diseased over questionings and debates about words. These men literally doted, craved questioning and disputes over Jesus' words to such an extent that the craving for controversy was like a sickness. Since there was no reasoning with such corrupt men, Paul urged that Timothy not waste his time with them. I don't have an argument with you about your translation of the Greek word nocio as mentally diseased, or any comparable words used in other translations. My argument is not with the Apostle Paul's negative description of the mindset of his primary opposers who were pseudo or false brothers or false teachers, questioning and debating a particular matter. However, I do take issue with your interpretive application of his words. The first followers of the Jew, Jesus Christ, were Jewish, and they continued to follow the law of Moses. Early Hellenized Jewish Christian believers referred to as Judaizers obsessively argued over the words of Christ, insisting that Gentile Christians get circumcised and observe the Mosaic law. Acts 15.5 said some former believers were Pharisees. Paul mentions his struggles with this group in at least five of his letters. Clark's commentary rightly said these Judaizers were not apostles nor apostolic men, but they were undoubtedly members of the Church of Ephesus. So she's basically arguing that apostates are not mentally diseased and that they made up the whole apostate thing themselves um, by using the scriptures, which is pretty awesome, actually. She seems like a legit person. She goes on to say, The issue was between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, and Paul's advice was well-timed and specific, certainly not suitable more than 2,000 years later. Yes, I know about Romans 15.4, where Paul said that all the things that were written aforetime were written for our instruction. Contextually, he was pointing to his time, not ours. For Watchtower writers to take an actual historical event when Jewish Christians taught Gentile Christians a completely different doctrine, the observance of the Mosaic Law, and then dedicated a phrase found in 1 Timothy 6.4, one that referred to these men who did not consent to Christ's words to former Jehovah's Witnesses, is ludicrous and wrong. In the July 15, 2011 simplified version of The Watchtower, published for children and others who have only very basic reading skills, the author placed a box on page 11, where mentally diseased apostates, quote-unquote, and quote-unquote false teachers are defined as people who rebel against true worship and abandon it. In this way, you harmfully labeled those who left the religion. Thus, you planted fear in the minds of the readers, most of whom are naive and innocent and easy prey for charlatans to influence. Our 12-year-old grandson, Luke, aware that his grandparents left the witness religion in 2002 and are now shunned, has in his mind the frightening thought that we are mentally diseased. And imagine, if you will, how a child will react to a former Jehovah's Witness parent after reading that those who leave the religion are mentally diseased. You should be ashamed of saying apostates are mentally diseased. Hateful words that vilify and denigrate people whom you perceive as sinners because they can't accept some of the Watchtower's teachings and policies that they view as harmful. May I remind you of what you wrote in the February 15th, 2000 Watchtower. The ruling ecclesiastical class violently silenced a voice, Cyril Lucaris in 1638, I'm not sure who that is, that pointed to some of the errors of their non-biblical beliefs. They proved to be among the worst enemies of religious freedom and truth. Sadly, this is a stance that in various ways survives even to our day. It is a sobering reminder of what happens when clergy-investigated intrigues stand in the way of freedom of thought and expression. That's written by the Watchtower Society. Fascinating. In 2000, 
For over 40 years, I thought you were different than those in the clergy who sought to suppress God-given freedom of thought and expression, but by your words, I have come to know that I was wrong. Yours truly, Barbara J. Anderson. That letter is absolutely fascinating. And the Watchtower Society thought that I was associated with her in some way because of the fake email address that I gave them when I originally signed up. At some point, maybe I should read this on my main channel. It's definitely a worthy read. I didn't know a lot of that stuff about, like, the etymology of the words in the Bible that translate to mentally diseased and things like that. Definitely worth reading. There are probably lots of Barbara Andersons out there, but I came to find... That was just too spot on. That name and them asking if I was associated with her and everything. It was just too spot on. Got a question from Alex Sutton. Can you please do a tool discography review video? That sounds interesting. I don't know that there's enough interest in tool in my fan base to warrant it. In fact, just talking about tool just now is going to lose me subscribers. I I'm 100% sure of that. Every time I talk about something other than religion, I lose subscribers. But it's fine. I like talking about this stuff. And the podcast is my thing to talk about what I want to talk about. So I don't know. If people don't like what I talk about, then they don't have to listen to it. That's okay with me. I just like saying it. So I, I don't know. Maybe at some point I'll do a review of it. We'll see. Uh, this one is from Omega Riley. What them legs do. Uh, I'm not sure how to respond, but I feel like there's a joke in here about tight pants. Fork wants to know what my cat's name is. My cat's name is Cashmere, but honestly, I just call him Kitty. Like, I don't really use his name very often. Kylie named him because he's like Siamese and he's the color of Cashmere, even though Cashmere can be any color, really. But anyways, yeah, that's his name, Cashmere. Okay, this one is from Trigor. How would you compare deism to theism and atheism? And which one is deism closer to, theism or atheism? It depends on the person. It depends on the, the person and their belief system, really. There are some deists who are basically atheists. They just don't, like, they have no proof for anything, and they know that they don't, and so they're just going along with whatever, and they just kind of assume that maybe somebody kicked everything into existence and walked away from it. That's kind of like the deist position for the most part. But some people get a little bit more ravenous or or rabid maybe is the word about their belief system so it really depends on the person if it's closer to theism or atheism but a lot of the founding fathers in america in the united states were deists and i'm pretty sure voltaire was a deist too thomas jefferson for example wrote the jefferson bible where well he didn't even write it he basically just took a bible and cut out all of the magical parts just cut them right out of the page and then just kind of rewrote the whole thing without all of the magical parts and released that. I think that's really fascinating. It's kind of funny that people say that this is a Christian country built on Christian principles with Christian founders, blah, blah, blah. That's a little bit debatable. That's most definitely debatable. Most of the founding fathers were not Christians. The culture is a very, very Christian one now, but it wasn't really founded on, uh, it wasn't really founded by Christians exactly, not not the way that they're implying. They did come here for religious freedom. A lot of people did. So there is that. But anyways, yeah, Voltaire is actually my favorite author, I guess you could say, from that time period. 
it was not easy being an atheist or being a deist at that time because we didn't understand evolution really we didn't understand much about how the world works so it was not easy being or, or having that set of beliefs or ideals but i think he he put out my favorite quote of all time. I'm trying to remember what it was now. Something like when he was on his deathbed, this was attributed to Voltaire. I don't know how true it is that it was his saying. I don't think it was his originally, but it's funny anyways. He was on his deathbed, or somebody was, and the priest showed up and said, repent your sins to me so that you don't go to hell and renounce the devil or denounce the devil or something. And he said, my dear man, this is no time to be making enemies. I thought that was pretty solid. That's an awesome story. This one's from Fork. My parents are pretty accepting, but my grandparents aren't. How do you deal with people who you care about asking about your beliefs or when I get confirmed? My parents are trying to cover for me, but I know it will come up eventually. Uh, It's kind of a complicated thing to deal with that. I have a, a couple of videos, like part one and two of how to deprogram a religious extremist. I think those are the titles. That's the title of the video. It's it's kind of a method for conversing with people who are extreme. You may try watching those videos and adopting the method. It's basically street epistemology for the most part is the name of the method where you take a very non-confrontational approach, really chill approach talking to them in a in a way that prevents their guard from going up because once their guard goes up it's over from there like they're not interested in having a conversation from that moment on they distrust your motives in the conversation you won't be able to get anything done anymore if their guard goes up so the trick is to keep their guard down, make make them think that you're interested and you want to learn and that you want to move forward in the direction that they want you to move in and things like that. And then ask some light, gentle, probing questions that kind of poke holes in their ideas. That's pretty much the method. Give it a shot. Just watch the videos and see kind of what I say about it and how I do it and and see if it helps you out. So Jehovah's Witnesses have been dealing with a lot of bad press lately. And I covered this on the last podcast. The reason for this is because, what's his name? I think it's Andrew Cuomo. Yeah, he's the governor of New York. He signed into law this thing about, it's, I think it's called the Child Victims Act. And the Child Victims Act, CVA, is what they're calling it. It pretty much just removes the statute of limitations. People can sue uh, corporations. This is for civil suits, not for criminal suits. They can sue corporations for their mishandling of child abuse, regardless of when it happened. Of course, Jehovah's Witnesses headquarters is in New York. There are a ton of lawsuits opening up right now against the Watchtower Society for mishandling child abuse. So they're getting covered by like, CBS, ABC, everybody, just everybody is covering this stuff about Jehovah's Witnesses. They're getting a lot of bad press coverage. So let's just take a look. This is CBS Local in Los Angeles. The title of it is, Man Alleges He Was Abused as a Child by Jehovah's Witness Church Elder. Let's give this article a read, see what it has to say. A 26-year-old man is suing several Jehovah's Witness organizations, alleging he was sexually abused by an adult elder in his congregation, starting when he was six years old. Kevin Ramirez, 
alleged in the complaint that his abuser, identified as Humberto, used his position within the church to build a relationship with Ramirez's family that enabled him to molest Ramirez from 1999 to 2001. Indeed, Humberto used his position to molest multiple boys in the congregation, the suit alleged. Humberto molested plaintiff on numerous occasions, including during and after church events such as field service, Bible study, and during a Jehovah's Witness assembly. According to the suit, Humberto told Ramirez as a child that he would not be accepted into paradise if he did not allow the molestations to occur. The suit stated that after Ramirez confided in his parents, they reported the abuse to the church in 2001, not to the police, to the church. However, the suit said the church did not take the information to the police and actively discouraged the family from doing so. The suit also alleged that a church official known as a ministerial servant who obliquely warned plaintiff's father to watch out for Humberto. The suit filed last week names the San Dimas Spanish Congregation of Jehovah's Witnesses, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society of New York, the Christian Congregation of Jehovah's Witnesses, and the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses as defendants. The suit alleged that these organizations failed to protect children like Ramirez from sexual battery and sexual harassment. The suit is seeking unspecified damages from the church. On Tuesday, the Christian Congregation of Jehovah's Witnesses said that Watchtower does not comment on pending litigation. I bet. Yeah, I bet. We don't comment on pending litigation. Okay. Are you going to comment on past litigation that's already completed? Of course not, because there are cases. So let's hear your comment now. Watchtower's stand on the subject of child abuse is very clear. We despise child abuse in any form, the statement said. Our hearts go out to anyone who suffered as a result of child sexual abuse. Over the years, Watchtower's publications have addressed this topic with a view to equipping parents to protect their children. In addition, Watchtower's practice is to always follow the law, and we support the efforts of elders and congregations of Jehovah's Witnesses to do the same. Yeah. I bet. That's complete BS. It's just, they will actively lie. I I found that out after I left. They're willing to actively lie, not tell the truth intentionally, if it's in defense of the governing body or of the organization or whatever, whatever they feel is justified. They justify lying. That's a problem to me. It's called theocratic warfare, and I've talked about it a few times. I, in fact, I talked about it in a recent video on my main channel. Theocratic warfare. They will lie if it's in defense of their people, of their leadership. That's wrong. So that's what's happening in the world of Jehovah's Witnesses right now. That was a CBS article, CBS local article for Los Angeles. And it's just one of many. Let's take a look at this one. This is from ABC News. California man accuses Jehovah's Witnesses of covering up childhood sex abuse. I know this isn't a pretty topic, but I feel I feel like it's important that it's covered. I feel like it's important that it's talked about, so I'm going to talk about it anyways. A Los Angeles man filed a lawsuit against the Jehovah's Witnesses organization, accusing an adult elder of sexually abusing him when he was a child. In the suit, Kevin Ramirez, 26, claims he was molested by an elder at the Kingdom Hall of Jehovah's Witnesses in San Dimas, California, for years, starting at the age of six. The suit names various levels of the organization's global hierarchy, including its eight-member governing body, as defendants. The suit, filed in Los Angeles Superior Court last week, accuses the church of negligence, sexual battery, and sexual harassment. You are taught to trust these elders with everything, Ramirez told reporters Tuesday. They are your mentors. They're the equivalent to what a priest would be. They're beyond a priest in my eyes. I mean, a lot of the time the priest has 
final authority, but not in everyday life. This is like a totalitarian regime that controls everything in your life. Everything. I think this is a little bit beyond just a plain old priest, honestly, which makes it worse. The Jehovah's Witnesses organization told ABC News that it could not discuss pending litigation, (laughs) but that the organization's practice is to always follow the law. Yeah, I will bet. In the complaint, Ramirez alleges one elder used his position in the religious organization to gain the trust of several boys in the congregation and abuse them. It's absolutely disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. And something I want to make note of here real quick, if something like this happened to you, you should be contacting Ramirez's attorney, Erwin Zalkin, the Zalkin Law Firm, Z-A-L-K-I-N. That's who's handling a lot of these child abuse cases right now. I honestly don't know how this law firm is, like, handling all of these cases. They must be bringing in, like, extra people because I I know that it's not just a couple. It's a really, really big deal right now. I know of at least three or four cases that are happening at this immediate moment. FYI, if you're wondering what the phone number is for the Zalkin Law Firm, 858-259-3011. If you guys, you know, experienced anything like this or any kind of issues like this, As a Jehovah's Witness, as a young Jehovah's Witness, give this law firm a call. Talk to these people because they can help bring down the Watchtower Society. A year later, how successful is the war on the word Mormon? I thought that was kind of an interesting idea because a while back, Mormons were basically trying to... I remember when this happened. I was working with a Mormon woman. Really, really nice lady, but she's super, super Mormon. She was telling me that at one of their general conferences recently, they basically said, no more using the word Mormon. They all want to go by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now, you can't even call them LDS. They don't want LDS. They want the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, long form. So how, how are they going to completely erase the word Mormon? Like, that's, that is a big ask, seriously. You know, they could convince their members to do it, but how do they convince, like, regular people who've never been affiliated with the church to kind of change the way they view Mormons to use a different name completely? It's just not going to happen. So there's an article about it. A year later, how successful is the war on the word Mormon? It's now been a full year since Russell M. Nelson, president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, oh my god, that's a mouthful, began insisting that the world stop using the word Mormon to refer to the institution or its members. After his August announcement last year, the denomination began systematically purging the word Mormon from its messaging, a process that is still ongoing. It's renamed its famed Mormon Tabernacle Choir, the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square, rerouted traffic from old domain names lds.org and mormon.org to churchofjesuschrist.org. Ugh. God, it's such a mouthful. And directed its publishing arm, uh, Deseret Book, to embrace the new terminology, which Nelson said was divinely inspired. Divinely inspired. That's interesting. Because Nelson is the prophet, I think. Or he was at the time, at the very least. I believe that he's the prophet. He's basically, they think that he has a line straight to God. That he can talk straight to God. That God gives him messages. Don't even get me started on what the, why that's absolutely absurd. I'll never stop. 
Anyways, the article goes on to say, After noting last August that the instruction to emphasize the full name of the church had come from the Lord, Nelson employed even stronger language at the church's semi-annual general conference in October, saying that the use of long-standing term Mormon in reference to the church constituted a major victory for Satan. Okay. But old habits die hard, and the move to make the word Mormon, but old habits die hard, and the move to make the word Mormon anathema has encountered some resistance, including from journalists. While substituting Latter-day Saints for Mormons is a relatively easy fix when writing about members of the Utah-based denomination, secular publications, including Religion News Service, have not adopted the church's preferred style for second reference to the institution, which the group's leaders would like to be either the Church of Jesus Christ or the Restored Church of Jesus Christ. The first is awkward because it doesn't adequately distinguish the Utah denomination from thousands of other churches that follow Jesus Christ. And the second posits a theological claim about restoration, that it's not journalists' jobs to validate or invalidate. That's a good point. I think it's just ridiculous that they're doing this. So how has it been going? That's the question. In the last year, how successful has the effort been to get outsiders to stop using Mormon? Not just members of the media, but regular folks. Research from Google Trends would suggest that it hasn't fully caught on, though there is some movement. So it shows different search terms. For those of you who are not watching, who are listening, it shows different search terms and it, and it compares them. We've got the search term Mormon, the Church of Jesus Christ, and LDS Church. Those are the three. Now remember, they didn't really want LDS Church either. They want the Church of Jesus Christ. They don't want the shortened version. They don't want Mormon. They want that. So how has it changed? Overall, overall, it's there's a lot more searching for Mormon than anything else, and there always has been, and there probably always will be. But the movement downward for the search term Mormon has picked up a little bit. It is kind of declining. LDS actually picked up a lot when they started all of this in August. There was a big spike in all of those search terms. Mormon, the Church of Jesus Christ, and LDS Church. But Mormon was on a steady decline, or started to go on a steady decline. And then there's just the slightest little itty-bitty bump for the Church of Jesus Christ search terms. Just barely see it, barely make it out. The article goes on to say, On the one hand, efforts to get people to use the full name of the church as an institution have not moved the needle much at all. As we can see in the above graph, Mormon is still the coin of the realm, but a slight change is detectable. When Nelson took office in early January of 2018, Mormon was searched 79 times, the blue line here, for every time someone searched the denomination's full name, red line. But as of last week, Mormon was searched just 55 times for every three searches of the formal, complete name of the church. That's not dizzying progress, but it's notable for just one year. It's movement in what the church would see as the right direction. On the other hand, the changing ratio seems to be less about a serious uptick in use of the full name of the church than a slippage in public interest related to Mormonism, as the overall number of searches seems to be declining. 
That's more obvious when we take a longer view, cataloging searches back to 2004, the first year for which Google has data available. Remember way back when Google didn't exist? Those were dark days. Yeah, I do remember those days, actually. I remember using Netscape Navigator as a, an internet browser. I was a little kid. Anyway, they're really not doing much. They're not moving forward on use of the word Mormon, or use of the term Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as opposed to Mormon, so... It's kind of a lost cause, honestly. They can convince their members to do it all they want. They're not going to convince outsiders to do it, because outsiders don't give a shit. And they're colloquially known as Mormons, so that's pretty much impossible to change, in my opinion, honestly. Anyway, that's the end of the podcast. I appreciate you guys coming on and giving this a listen, and I will talk to you next week.